You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Those of you that are here with us this morning, you may be a guest uh, in person or online. We welcome you again. And Brian, one of the pastors, and I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, open the word with you this morning. Um, it, it's just been heavy, like Walter said, the last couple of uh, days. Um, and so I ask that you would continue to be praying uh, for our brothers and sisters. And I know that there are other things that are going on in our lives, too, that we want to continue to remember and lift up to the Lord. Uh, so please continue to do so and, and let us know how we can be doing that with you. Um, I, I, I see fitting, bless you, that um, in this season that we're in right now uh, of these things that are going on in our church family, uh, by no mistake, I think in God's sovereignty, is he allowing us to be in the place that we are today with the book of Psalms. Um, we see in the book of Psalms these mo- emotions of uh, praise and worship unto God, moments of lamenting, moments of even questioning what is going on. And the Word of God, being living and active, comforts us in these things. And so, uh, if this is your first time with us or first time with us in a while, we're jumping back into the book of Psalms today. We took a little break last week as we went over to Cooper River Baptist and had a wonderful outdoor gathering. I praise God for oak trees because that that oak tree provided so much shade for us, and uh, it was a wonderful outdoor gathering and cookout afterwards, and uh, just a lot of fun. And so I uh, just wanted to uh, say thank you guys that were able to come with us last week. Thank you guys for uh, helping us and, and, and preparing things and, and just being a part of that. And, and absolutely thank you to Cooper River for being a good host to us. Um, but we are in the book of Psalms chapter 27 today. Psalms chapter 27. And I've entitled the message today, The Lord of Our Salvation. The Lord of our salvation. Uh, for those of you that know us, know our family, you know um, about our children, you know about Noah, uh, Larry, this year he calls him lightning, like the, the boy is, is high energy and going all the time. And uh, right now he is just in this season of life where um, he wants to be on daddy's hip nonstop. And so it's awesome. It can be overwhelming at times, but it's awesome. And uh, just a, a, a little about a month ago now, we were on a cruise, and when we were on the cruise, um, just knowing as how quick he can get away and move around and whatnot, uh, we did what I said we would never do before we had kids, and we put a backpack on him that had the little string attached, right, with a little clip. And so he was there with me, and we would go everywhere together, and there was this one part of the ship called the Lido Deck, and as you're on the Lido Deck on the Carnival ship, there's, there's people everywhere. Like, it's the, the main area where people are hanging out, there's swimming pools, all this stuff, and as we're just trying to go through there to find our room, I'm holding on to him with this uh, leash, I guess you could say, that's attached to his backpack, and I'm trying to guide him through the crowds of people. And he looks back at me and he says, Daddy, Daddy, please don't let go. I don't want to get lost. And I'm thinking, I don't want you to get lost either because there's a pool right there and you don't have a swimmy on. Like, we need to make sure that you're safe. 
we did that in that moment on this trip because I wanted to make sure as his father that I was providing protection for him, that I was able to watch out for him. Even with that leash thing that was on his backpack, it was there to be a guide for him to guide him along and say, hey, come this way. Don't go that way, come this way. And in that moment, he's there and all this stuff is going on around him. And it's very much like, hey, there's this, there's this, like squirrel, squirrel. Like there's just so much going on. But he felt comfort there in that moment because he knew my daddy's got me. Like my dad is not going to let me go. He is going to stay with me. There is safety here. I feel comfort. I feel peace. So we're going to have fun. We're going to do this and we're going to be together. And he would go and we would get around the corner almost to where our room was, and there was a sharp turn to get to the room. And at one point, he just took off, and, and I let go. And he went around the corner, and I was like, I'm going to teach this boy a lesson. And I jumped back, and I just kind of stood like this. And he came back in the corner, and he's, Daddy, 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 scared to death. And I jumped out, and I said, I'm here. This is a lesson. Don't go running off and take that out of my hand. I'm here to be with you, to watch out for you, to protect you, to guide you, but you got to stay with me. You got to trust me. And I bring that up to ask us, when we look at our heavenly father, do we recognize him as being our Abba father, the one who is there, that through his word, through the Holy Spirit, he guides us. We know that he has saved us through Jesus Christ, the son of God. We know that he guides us. He is our protector. We know that he listens for our cry when we call out to him. And when we think about that, do we think in this moment of this awe and this reverence and this comfort, this peace of, yeah, that's my father. Or do we just look at him as, thank you for saving me and just kind of go about things in our daily life? No, He is those things that I just described. So how do we respond to him? This Psalm in 27, it's one of David's. And as we're going to see, it's this prayer of praise to God. There's even some lamenting that's going on in the midst of these words. And David describes some ups and downs of life, yet he continually points that the Lord is his help. The Lord is with him. And so... We're going to look in this passage and we're going to see that the Lord saves, he protects, he listens, he guides his people through the journey of life until they're called home to glory. I want to open us with prayer and we're going to just jump right in so that we can get into this rich passage. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful for you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Abba Father, that you are always ever-present You're guiding us, listening for us when we cry out to you, never leaving nor forsaking us. God, we want to praise you now in these few moments, Lord, as we sit underneath the teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth are pleasing unto you. Be glorified and have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to jump right on in. I hope you're taking notes. They'll be on the screen for you. If you want a hard Bible, it's there in front of you, or you've got the words on the screen, as you know. But the first point is this. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. Let's look at verse 1. We're going to look at the very first part of verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David opens this psalm declaring two powerful truths. God is his light. God is his salvation. Now we see this word salvation, and in the Hebrew, it's translated as savior, okay? So we look at this and we understand, we know as believers on this side of the cross that he is our savior because of what? Because of the finished work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And for all those who repent and believe, we are saved, thus we have salvation. God is our salvation. David also says that God is his light, This is so significant. Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, he says that he is the light of the world. That's back in John 8. He declares, I am the light of the world. What does light represent? Light represents to us life. It it represents purity, holiness. The, The mere fact that darkness flees the moment that a light is turned on. I had to come by here uh, somewhat late last night with the family. We were out. I came by here for a moment, and I walked in the sanctuary, and it was pitch black besides the little exit lights. And the moment that I flipped the switch right over there, boom, the light comes on, and the darkness flees. The same is true for us. We are walking in darkness in this life prior to Christ redeeming our souls. And the moment we come to saving faith in Jesus, we are walking in the midst of the darkness, but we have the light indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit of God. The darkness flees from the light. One commentary pointed out that we see this idea of light in scriptures, both at the beginning and at the end of the Bible. We see light at the beginning in Genesis. We see light at the end in Revelation. When we see this beautiful picture of what is to come with the new heavens and the new earth and this glory that we will embrace and experience in the presence of God for eternity. God is our light because he helps us to see the effects of sin in our life and calls us to repent and to flee from it. It's a beautiful thing. God is our light. He's our salvation. Then we see this second part that is true for us. There is no one who we should fear. Let me ask a question, church. Is it easy to do? Is it easy to not be fearful? At times it's difficult, is it not? It's time, at times we have things that are going through in life, things that we have worried about. I mean, we just talked about these ailments and these things that are going on in people's lives that we love and care for. There are fears about what is to come next. But much like the examples that we can repeat all of our minds, things that we've gone through, things that we have seen that have been fearful, we embrace the truth that God is who he says he is. Therefore, we should not fear. If God is our light and our salvation and he has redeemed us from the pit of hell because of Jesus' finished work, then what should we be able to fear? Nothing. We shouldn't fear anything. Think of the missionaries that are around the world right now. There are some that are going into places that are extremely dangerous. They are facing death the moment they get out into the mission field because they are some missionaries that are in these deep, dark places that have no desire of hearing anything of the gospel and they will immediately kill somebody if they proclaim Jesus. We've heard stories of believers the moment they came to faith and they turned away from what they were raised up on, they were beheaded, they were killed, all because of the name of Jesus. But people like these missionaries, 
They go out for the call of Christ on their lives to fulfill what God has told them to do. They are on mission and they stare death in the face and they say, who shall I fear? Brothers and sisters, there is no need to fear anything in this life because God is our light and our salvation. Look at that second part of verse one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? See, here in this second part of the verse, the idea of the Lord being our stronghold in our lives is critical. What does that word mean? It can be translated as fortress, a building, some type of structure. Now, when you think of a fortress, you have this idea. You can probably picture it in your mind. Like, I think of fortress, and my mind just being here in Charleston for so long, I immediately think of, like, Fort Sumter, right? You have this fortress that's built around that is supposed to provide protection and, and, and you seek and you find refuge in that. You, you feel comfort there knowing like, hey, we have this fortress that's built up. This is our stronghold. So we are not going to have to worry about any kind of attacks from the enemy. It's designed to take those attacks. It's this place of refuge. When David says this and he's our stronghold, this is our God he's referring to. He's referring to the Lord saying, he is the stronghold of our lives. He is our fortress. He is the one in whom we take refuge. Therefore, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. Let's read verses two and three together. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. We have to read those two verses together because we have to understand that what he is saying there in verse 3 depicts of this fear, but verse 2 gives the reason yet again of why he should not fear. See, David's giving these vivid images to us of armies that are encamping against David. War is arising against him. Evildoers are assailing him, coming to eat his flesh, as he describes it. Yet, they are these adversaries, and David's heart shall not fear. David is confident. Why? He tells us there at the end of verse 2. He says, it is they who stumble and fall. You see, David knew the reality that we too should know, especially being on this side of Calvary's cross. David knew that no matter who was against him, God was in control. We say that theological word a lot, sovereign. God is sovereign. God is in control. Why shall we be afraid? David knew that despite who wanted to end his life, God would save him. God's will would be done. David trusted God despite all the reasons the world and others around him could have said, dude, you're crazy. Don't listen to that. Don't obey that. You don't know what you're talking about. Do this. Take control. You can control this situation. David knew God was in control. He trusted God. See, brothers and sisters, we too understand this truth. No matter what any person may say or try to do to us, no matter what trials we face, no matter what pain 
maybe coming around the corner based on things that we're going through with loved ones or others. In the midst of these things, God is sovereign. He is in control and we must trust Him. I think about that with this context of understanding we quote it a lot as Christians, but we think about the end of Romans 8 with 828 and, and God working together all things for the good of those who love him and a called according to his purpose. And right there towards the tail end of that in 831, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You think about that and you understand who God is and his sovereignty, and the fact that he is in control, and we submit to him that no matter what may come, he is for us, who can be against us? No, th- no person, no thing, no trial, no nothing can prevail against us because God is who he says he is. He is our savior. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is our light and our salvation. Therefore, we shall not fear If that's the case, if God is our light and our salvation, we should not fear. We find comfort in the fact that, number two, the Lord is our protector. The Lord is our protector. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What's David saying here? Does he want to go to the temple to worship God? Yes. Remember also, this is pre-cross. So this is the place. David is wanting to go into the temple of God to worship him. This is where God would dwell there in the midst. This is before the, the, the curtain in the temple is torn at the cross. He wants to be there in the temple to glorify God where he dwells we too can realize that we take this further being on this side of Calvary's cross and understand that God is omnipresent. He always has been. He's everywhere. You know, God forbid, church, this beautiful sanctuary we have, God forbid something happened and it crumbled to the ground because of some kind of natural disaster or anything like that. If that happened, it would be horrible. But here's the thing. The church would not be dead. The church would still gather. The church would still be the church because we are the body of Christ and we can glorify God wherever we are together. We gave a prime example of it last week. We stood outside and we praised God together. The church gathered as one. This is the beauty of our God, the the one who is our protector, our light, our salvation. David says there in verse 4, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, it points to worship. It points to giving God glory. It points to this longing and this desire to be in God's presence. Being in God's presence and giving him the glory for who he is. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time that we were just so in awe of God? We were almost left speechless because of what he has done for us, what he's doing in our lives now, what we've seen that he's done. When have we just been left in awe? Thanking him. 
praising him. I tell you, two days ago, I was here for a few moments, and Dawn, our financial secretary, she came by to, to do her cutting of the checks and stuff that she does, and she said to me, she said, um, man, it's, it's incredible to see all the stuff that's just going on around here. And, I mean, construction's been going on for months now, and it's like, man, yeah, it's like, when's the end in sight? You know, you get excited, you think about it, and she's like, I just want to see it. I was like, well, come on, let's go. Let's, let's just walk around. And we started to walk through, and I began to see her eyes just open wide. And she's like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And I finished with her, and I went to get in my car, and as I turned the ignition, I'm sitting there, and it just hits me. Wow. God, look what you've done. And it's crazy in that moment where it's like, okay, well, yeah, it took a building and seeing what, what God has done through this partnership with the school and what he's going to do to, to really just have this moment just hit me. But it just hit me like a rush of wind. God, look, look what you've done. And I went to pull out of the parking lot and I looked back at this building and I'm just like, I can't begin to fathom the lives that are about to be transformed. All because God's people said yes. And we're obedient to God. And his faithfulness just, just beautifully on display by what we just see walking around. When's the last time that we were just so in awe of God? Seeing what he's done, what he's doing Trusting in what he will do. When's the last time we gazed upon his beauty? Looking at him with this admiration, with this affection. Verse 5 tells us, For he will hide me in his shelter in the days of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. We do this knowing and understanding that our Father is our protector. He cares for His people. You see, in His tent or shelter, we know that He holds us close, preventing the hard that could come, that will come. He lifts us high upon the rock. He gives the imagery of being in this high elevation where dangers are distant. Much like an earthly father places preventary measures in place to protect his child, our Heavenly Father does all the more on a consistent basis. And as I got to thinking about that, I was reminded of Jesus and what he says to Simon Peter. This is right before Simon Peter is going to deny Jesus. He says in Luke 22, 31 through 32, it's on the screen for you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see here in that moment, Peter is being big and bad. He's declaring that he'll do anything for the Lord, including dying for him.
And he's about to tell Peter, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And he tells him that although Satan demanded to sift him like wheat, Jesus prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Jesus intercedes on Peter's behalf. He does the same for us. Notice, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what was about to take place for Peter. And he's telling him, hey, when that happens and you turn again, go and strengthen your brothers. He knew that Peter would fail, yet he too knew that he would turn back and Jesus tells him to strengthen. What an incredible picture of the God we serve. Jesus does the same for us. He intercedes on our behalf to God the Father every single day, every waking moment. So our protector, he will lift us high upon the rock. Verse six, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, sing and make melody to the Lord. David here describes the enemies all around, yet he's being lifted up because of what God has done for him. David goes on to describe what he in turn gives to God, and that is his praise. What God so rightfully deserves David will offer sacrifices of praise to God with shouts of joy, singing and making melody unto the Lord. Church family, when was the last time that we were so overcome with gratitude for what God has done for us that we couldn't take it? You wanted to shout for joy to the Lord, and if we can't recall, then that's a problem that we must deal with. When's the last time that we Again, we're just so grateful that those that are our lost friends, family, neighbors, classmates, co-workers, they all saw the joy of the Lord overflowing in our lives because of our protector, our God who saves. Because not only does he save, not only does he protect, but number three, the Lord hears our cry. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. David goes back to crying out to the Lord in prayer. As a matter of fact, verses 7 through 14 give the context of why David said what he said in the first six verses. We saw in verse 6 that David is confident that the Lord hears his cries of prayer. Therefore, we can be confident that the Lord hears our prayers. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Remember David's declaration of seeking the Lord's face in verse 4. Back in verse 4, he declares that here as well. The Lord desires for his people to seek after him. He has graciously called us to himself. Therefore, we respond in seeking him, in praising him, in glorifying him. Him. Don't miss the obedience of David. The Lord calls us to seek, and so we should. Are we obedient to this call? Verse 9, 
Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been kept, have been my help, excuse me, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. It's because of this reality that God has called us to seek Him along with all that we've covered so far of what David's cry has been here. It's not because he thinks God will abandon him, but instead he trusts that God will not. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now we read this verse and we've got to understand that there may be some instances where we are forsaken by others. I mean, there's examples in people's lives, probably that they've been forsaken even by their parents. Maybe people pass on or they're no longer around them. Maybe those that are closest to us have forsaken us. No matter what that case may be, though, God is never going to forsake his people. He has adopted us as heirs with Christ Jesus. We have no reason to fear because we are his children. And remember, when he looks upon his children, he does not see our sin. No, the psalmist declares our sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. When God looks upon his children, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son because Jesus died for us. His blood has covered us. Verses 11 and 12, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. It's in God's hearing David's cry that we also see David is asking for guidance here in verse 11. He asked the Lord to teach him his ways, to lead him on this level or this straight path because of the enemies. Why is it that David desires this? He wants to please the Lord but also because verse 12, there are those who have risen up against him, violently bearing false witness against him. How is it that the Lord can answer this kind of request for us? Maybe we cry out to God. He hears our cry as we've established. How is it that he answers this for us? He does throw through the Holy Spirit. He answers us through the word of God. He answers us through the blessing of brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear my cry, O Lord. So we see that our God, our Lord saves. Our Lord is our protector. The Lord hears our cry. And also, very lastly, very quickly, the Lord will sustain us. The Lord will sustain us. Verse 13 reads, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He begins to conclude this psalm reminding us to look upon the goodness of 
the Lord. This carries the same connotation of what we saw back in verse 4 with this gazing upon the beauty. We're to look upon the Lord with this admiration, this affection, this awe at His goodness, His character that leaves us breathless. And it says that we're to do this in the land of the living. It's a call to do this in our daily lives. We're to glorify God through proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel so that every man, woman, and child in our circles of accountability have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. We have to remember our vision is clear. We want to see the Lord fulfill the Great Commission in this generation. And the only way we do that is by loving the Lord and loving other people. Loving the people that God has called us to. Lastly, in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage Wait for the Lord. In doing these things, just as David declares, we wait on the Lord, but we don't wait sitting idly by. We wait in eager expectation that God will use us to proclaim the glories of his name, trusting in his sovereign power and plan, pointing people to the hope that we have in the gospel. So how do we respond to this beautiful reality that we've seen today? How do we respond to this great God who is our light and our salvation that protects us, that hears our cry and that stains us? We remember that maybe in those moments or those seasons of waiting, we trust that God is who he says he is, that he loves us, And he's got us. In those moments of questioning or wondering, when we're waiting and we say, God, where are you? What are you doing? We know that he is who he says he is. He hears our cry. He's never left us nor forsake us. We glorify him. We make much of his name. And we do so with this overflowing heart of gratitude. Bless you. How will you respond to this loving Father who has given His Son for us so that we may be His children? Would you join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father in heaven, Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, that you are our light and our salvation. You're our Savior. You have redeemed us, Lord. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Resurrection from the grave, conquering sin and death. Thank you, Lord, for that great gift that we do not deserve. Lord, as we sit here And we chew on this and we process the fact that you are our protector. You hear our cry. You sustain us through this life. I pray that 
we would wrestle with things we need to wrestle with. If there's sin in our life, we need to repent of and give it to you that we would so that our focus, our gaze would be upon your beauty, worshiping you and glorifying you for who you are, just sitting in awe of your presence with joy overflowing because of what you've done, what you're doing and what you will do. Teach us your ways, O God. Make clear how we are to live in our daily lives to make much of your name so that those around us can be impacted by the gospel, just as we have been impacted by the gospel. Have your way, O God, now. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.